Well, good morning again. Um, happy you're with us today. Uh, I think you're going to be, be blessed by the morning that's, uh, that's in front of you. Uh, last week, we, we began a journey, and we began this journey through a few of the parables of Jesus. But we did so through the lens of our stories. You know, I make no secret that, that my story, the, the journey that has made me become me, is, is something that, that doesn't begin to even make any bit of sense without the grace of God. I, I believe Jesus saw the power found in stories, in, in testimony. And as I shared last week, the parable is probably Jesus' most powerful teaching tool. As, as followers of Christ, we, we have an expectation. We have an expectation to share the gospel. Now, we hear that. We, we hear that, and most of us become introverts. Some of us, for the first time or only time in your life that you're an introvert. We can't do the story justice. We, we say to ourselves, we get in our own heads. We, we can't possibly convey the words and the emotions that are needed to win souls for Jesus. How incredibly naive we are. Jesus wins those souls. He simply uses us for His glory. We are a catalyst. I, I refer to Michelle a lot of times when I, when I share my testimony, that Michelle is the earthly catalyst of my salvation. Jesus saved my life, but He did so through the things that made Michelle, Michelle. Our stories are powerful. Our influence, our influence on those around us, whether, whether we might be referring to a, a lifelong friend or a person who cut you off on the highway or stole your parking place on Christmas Eve, or maybe even the person sitting in the same row as you this morning whom you haven't said hello to today. This influence, this story, it's the gospel. If we want to get down to it, for, for someone who may be searching for something to hold on to, this influence that we're talking about, your story, well, it's more powerful in that circumstance than you awkwardly rehearsing or nervously delivering God's plan of redemption for the Bible. Now, now stop, stop, stop. Hear me, church. I am not saying that that isn't important. Of course it's important. But the fact of the matter is some of us have been gifted with the gift of evangelism and some haven't. Sharing the gospel from Scripture is difficult. But we all have stories. We all have a reflection of the gospel available at a moment's notice for the world around us to see. Last Sunday, we heard from Rob Powell, and we examined Matthew 13, the, the parable of the sower, and we looked at the four different types of soil that represented four different heart responses to God. If you missed it, go back and listen. The, the full message and testimony will be online probably tomorrow. Elaine's been on vacation, but we'll get that up tomorrow. So go back and listen. Prepare your heart for that. It was very powerful. Within that parable, however, Jesus, Jesus, he's asked by his disciples, why is he speaking to the crowd in a parable? Essentially, the disciples are saying, now, now this, is the, uh, this is the NIAV translation, that's the New International Adam version. The disciples are saying this, you are Jesus, you are the promised Messiah, why are you telling stories? Get to the point, actually you are the point. And so, so Jesus answers them this way. 
The knowledge of the secrets of heaven has been given to you, but it has not been given to them. Those who have something will be given more, and they will have abundance. Those who have nothing will lose what they have. They will be destitute. I teach in parables so the people may look but not see, listen but not hear or understand. They are fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. You will listen, but you will not understand. You will look, but you will not see. The people's hearts have turned to flab. Their ears are clogged. Their eyes are shut. They will try to see, but they will not see. They will try to hear, but they will not hear. They will try to understand, but they will not comprehend. Hear this, church. If they, with their blindness and deafness, so choose, then I will heal them. Many holy prophets and righteous men and women and people of prayer and doers of good have wanted to see but did not see and have wanted to hear but did not hear. Your eyes and ears are blessed. This example provided us to us by Jesus is it's profound. It's compelling. It's evangelism. More so, it's doable. Found people find people. Today, we're going we're gonna to spend our time together a little later in Matthew. We're, we're looking at Matthew 18, and we're going to start in verse 21. So if you have Scripture with you and you want to go ahead and bookmark that, I'm going to read through that, uh, that parable in just a second. But in my study this week, I read a commentator's take on Matthew 18, and I want to give you the, the, the brevity of, of this, this chapter. He wrote that Matthew 18 is, quote, the single greatest discourse our Lord ever ever gave on life among the redeemed people in His church. These instructions from Jesus span an entire chapter, and most of the chapter focuses on how Christians are to be cared for. There's a section on protecting one another, being selflessly concerned with one another's holiness. There is a section on loving one another, but but it's not the typical kind of love that we think. Here, Jesus compels us to pursue one another, particularly when one of us wanders, because this is what God does. After seeing that we are to protect and love one another, the next section implores us to restore one another. This passage is used often as a basis of conflict resolution and church discipline. This is all important exposition to lead us into the final section of Matthew 18 and our focus today. The Webster uh, definition uh, of forgive is this, to cease to feel resentment against an offender. The Bible has a couple of large overarching ideas about forgiveness, and and obviously we we think about forgiveness as God forgiving us, but today we focus on the other the forgiveness of others. But hear this, church, this is not an either-or discussion. Before we dive in, I want you to really hear this this morning. Hear what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, what He teaches right after the Lord's Prayer. We, we learn as, as children, if you grew up in the church, maybe even as adults, you, you digest the Lord's Prayer, but found right after that, listen, listen to what Jesus says right out of the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their offenses... Your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Today is incredibly important for your walk with Christ. Today we realize what is at stake when we don't forgive. I'm going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to pray for God to meet you where you're at this morning. 
I'm going to pray that He speaks directly to you through the parable of the unforgiving servant. I'm going to pray that He speaks directly to you through Kevin and Janie who are behind me today. Forgiveness. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Let's pray. Father God, you are a way maker, and I pray today that you make a way to intercede and to intersect in the lives in this room right where they need you to to be met. Father, I know there are hearts today that hold on to hurt. They hold on to anger. They hold on to the things that are against you, that are in opposition to you. And you give us the power and the example and the courage to let go of them. And I pray, Lord, today that these words from the parable and the words from Kevin and Janie meet our congregation where they're at. Father, I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Follow along as I read you the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will repay you, I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay back what was owed. When the other servant saw what had taken place... They were deeply distressed and went and reported it to their master, everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Good morning. Uh, many of you know our story. And for those of you that don't, we're going we're to tell you about a huge event in our lives. In 2001, our, our daughter Lauren was born. She was our youngest. We have two older boys, Nathan, who was 13 when Lauren was born, and Ben, who was five years old. Hey, buddy. Lauren was the most anticipated child ever. Uh, She was the first girl 
um, her brothers, grandparents, extended family, co-workers of ours, everybody was just beyond excited for this little girl's arrival. Um, it was baby shower after baby shower. I had asked for purple stuff, not pink, so we were overloaded. Our dining room was just overflowing with purple girly stuff. Um, most importantly, it, Lauren was going to be daddy's girl. I had two boys, right? Both of them were, Mama's were mommy's boys. boys. Um, and Lauren, Kevin was finally going to get his little girl. She, she really was going to be Kevin's. During Lauren's delivery, there was a medication mistake made by a particular person. The outcome was that Lauren was severely and immediately brain damaged at birth. The prognosis was not good. She was not supposed to live a day without life support. To say that we were devastated is an understatement. Lauren was at Children's Hospital in the NICU, and on day five, her doctor said that Lauren was brain dead. We were advised to take her off life support, and we agreed. We had a few days to prepare, Family and friends had the opportunity to come and pray and say goodbye. And finally, the day arrived, and it was the worst day ever. Um, life support would be removed, and they expected her to live less than 30 minutes. But God had other plans. Lauren continued to live. She could breathe on her own, but nothing else. And after a few more days at Children's, we brought her home. We brought her home with hospice care, feeding tubes and morphine into the house full of brand new purple girly stuff that she would not get to use. For the first month, we lived every day on a constant death watch. Janie was hurt that God allowed this to happen and I was filled with rage at the person who injured Lauren. It was a miracle Lauren was living at all we were in a really dark place. Ben started kindergarten in the middle of this nightmare. He wasn't old enough to really comprehend what was going on. Nathan started his second year at Latin school, not knowing if his sister would be alive when he got home. What should have been the happiest time of our life was filled with grief, despair, bitterness, and anger. All we could do was wonder. How can we go back to work? Your child might pass away any day. How do we survive financially if we don't go back to work? How do we keep our boys sane and centered and not scarred for life? How do we even find the, the strength to take our next breath, much, much less get through the day? I was really bitter and angry. I didn't want to be around the hospice nurse or go to any doctor's appointments. Um, I was so angry I didn't want to hear their constant gloom and doom. It, at every turn there was just no hope and I was consumed with rage. This was the first time in my life that I could not think of anything else. I just, I was obsessed with this. I was at the top of my game professionally at this time in my life and I'd go to work and I'd just be paralyzed. I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything else. And I would leave work, and I'd go somewhere, and I'd park, and I'd just cry. And I'd cry it all out and go home so the 
The boys never saw me cry. I'd go home, and this went on for weeks and weeks. It was just just caught in a repeating nightmare. Parable of the unforgiving servant is fairly straightforward. We, We talked last week about interpreting parables and how you go about that. We said one of the things we said, you have to find the point. All right? And again, the, the point is very clear about the command to, to forgive. We also said that you have to listen to the hearer's perspective, and this is where some context helps. In, in those days, it was common among rabbis to encourage people to forgive a brother for repeated sin up to three times, after which there would be no more forgiveness. So Peter, he's probably thinking he's got a really big, compassionate heart for his brothers and sisters in Christ when he offers up the suggestion of seven times. However, Jesus again flips the script. He sets the standard, 70 times seven. Jesus goes on to tell a story of a man who owes what could translate into millions or a billion, if not a billion dollars, clearly an amount in which the servant could never repay to the king. And yet this king, out of sheer mercy and compassion for the servant, he forgave the entire unpayable debt. You know, there are a couple of takeaways here. The the first takeaway is, as Christians, we have received unexplainable, reckless, undeniable, unimaginable, incomprehensible, extravagant grace. Let's use the analogy of debt for a second. There is no price tag that you or I could ever put on our sinfulness before an infinite holy God. It's natural for us to justify our sin, for you and I to think, well, well, I haven't sinned as much as this person, or at least I didn't do that. When we think this, we show that we're clueless at the extent of our own sin. Clueless. Our debt is deep. Our sin is infinitely deep, but Christ has paid for it. Christ has paid for it out of sheer mercy. The Father sent His Son to endure the wrath that you and I deserve. We deserve it. And now we are free from this penalty of sin. We are free from the promise of death from sin. Free not not as a servant, as in the story. We are not free as a servant. We are free as a son and daughter. Do you understand this today? We are free. Here, here. I didn't do this first service. I'm going to do it now. Okay, here we go. Somebody said to me last week, they said, hey, um, a great icebreaker. Find out, ask the room what color they are, all right? So what color do you feel? Maybe, maybe you feel red, okay? Maybe you feel red, all right? You're, you're tainted with sin. You're stuck in this world of sin. You cannot get out of it. You're stuck. Well, what do you do? What's the song say, right? What's the song say? Uh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come to Jesus. Bam, you're white, white as snow, Right? Somebody else said, oh, I'm, I'm black or blue. I'm black or blue. I am, I am covered in, in scars and sin. Well, okay, go to Jesus, white as snow. It's that easy. The other takeaway, the other takeaway that you can take is as Christians, as Christians, we now extend unexplainable Reckless, undeniable, unimaginable, incomprehensible, extravagant grace. How harsh is the servant here? 
How harsh is the servant after he is forgiven of this large debt to go to a man who owed him a tiny fraction of his original debt and put him in prison for failure to pay. It's unheard of. It's repulsive. It's harsh. But it's familiar. For a Christian to not forgive, it's the same thing. After a couple of months of being on the death watch, shedding countless tears and offering nearly constant prayers, God gave us relief. Lauren was improving in small ways, and we decided that if God was going to let her live, although we may not know how long, that we needed to start living every day for the gift that it really was. The death watch stopped, and we could so clearly see and feel God's presence with us and everyone around us could see God through us. We were finding joy in every day. The darkness was breaking and life was starting in a new way for everyone, except for Kevin, who was still really angry. Although I was happy we were living again, I was still angry. I had a physically perfect, beautiful daughter that couldn't move. She couldn't laugh. She couldn't even swallow on her own. The loss was so great. I had a real fear that I would run into this person I blamed for Lauren's injury. What would I do if I saw him? Would I be able to walk away, or would I exact the pound of flesh that I wanted so badly? There was a monkey on my back. There was a difference in me that my friends and family and coworkers noticed. I was short-tempered and looking for somewhere to vent my anger all the time. This was not me, and I did not like it. My relationship with God was in jeopardy. More than anything, I wanted to, God to heal my daughter. At this time in my life, I started listening to Southern Gospel music, and it really was a soothing balm. Through these songs, God softened my heart, and I began to realize that I could not have a relationship with God if I wasn't willing to forgive the way that God forgave me. I started working and praying to forgive this person. Once I truly began to forgive this person, I started to really live again. Bit by bit, a burden was lifting from me. You know, I heard once that when you truly forgive, you set two people free, and one of them is yourself. A person who can't forgive is a prisoner and will be consumed with bitterness. This could not have been truer in my life. I was a prisoner. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. This is not a suggestion. It is a command. One more point before we conclude. For, forgiving someone is always done at a cost. It cost me to walk away without my revenge. I did not have the strength to forgive on my own. You know, if there's a command in the Bible, that means Jesus will provide a way to achieve it. 
The same one who has forgiven us is the one who puts his spirit in us and enables us to have the force and power to forgive. Lauren lived for 21 months. And in that time, we lived life to the fullest. We took her on trips to her brother's ball games. We took her swimming to church, to the mountaintop, you name it, we did it. Life was as normal as we could make it. Her time on earth was the worst and best times of our life. We know that she is having a wonderful time right now in heaven, and, and we hope to see her soon, and we hope this story helps you. There's one more thing I want to say that's not on script here. I don't want anybody to feel like they, this is some subject we're sensitive about. We, uh, we like to talk about Lauren. Uh, right now, I, I think of her as being a freshman at the University of Jesus. She's 18 years old. She'll be 19 in July. Um, if you ever have any questions or you want to talk, feel free to approach either one of us or Ben. And uh, we'll be glad to talk about it. Thank you. I need you to hear me, hear me today, church. The Bible is not saying to forgive and forget. The Bible is not saying forgiveness removes the pain from the offense. The Bible's not saying forgiveness means you make it easy to be hurt again. The Bible is not saying it's easy to forgive. The Bible is not saying that it's natural to forgive. The Bible is saying that it's Christian to forgive. In fact, God's Word goes as far as saying the Christian has no other option. We forgive not because we have to, but because in love... We are compelled to. Only Jesus can inspire the kind of forgiving heart this parable teaches. Only Jesus can, could prepare Kevin and Janie for the forgiveness they extended. He reminds us of the unexplainable, reckless, undeniable, unimaginable, incomprehensible, extravagant grace and mercy He has shown to you and me as the least deserving sinners. And by that grace, by His love, we are empowered to extend the same unexplainable, reckless, undeniable, unimaginable, incomprehensible, extravagant grace and mercy to those who we label as the least deserving. That's forgiveness. And that's the kind of forgiveness that should embody the church. So how do you forgive? How do you love? You know, as the worship team joins, we're going we're gonna to spend a few minutes in worship. You know, they're going to they're gonna come and, and they're going to they're gonna sing to the, to the highest peak that, that Jesus is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's light in the darkness. And as Larry said before, he's a savior. And if you don't know that this morning, if you haven't found the Jesus that we're about to sing about, I want to talk to you this morning. There may be in your life 
there may be a lot of truth to the need for forgiveness that you heard today. And if that's the case, maybe you are in a relationship with Jesus, but you're holding this bitterness and this resentment and this this struggle. You're holding on to every bit of it. Well, respond to Jesus this morning and let go. There's nothing in today's parable, there's nothing in the story we heard that celebrates holding on to that. So let's celebrate the other way. Come up front. I'll be over here. Uh, Carl, can, uh, Carl, you can take this side. I'll take this side. And, and if you need to respond, if you need to accept Jesus, if you need to talk about baptism, if you need to uh, just have prayer over you, come and see one of us. We, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. And I'm not going to ask you to stand when I close in prayer, because frankly, this worship time, this is yours. You respond to God how you see fit. If you need to just meditate on what you hear, so be it. If you need to raise your hands as high as they go in praise of this amazing God who empowers us to forgive, then worship that way. But however you worship, worship with truth and with honesty and vulnerability and open yourself up to these loving arms that are holding themselves wide open for you. Let's pray together. Father, I said it before, you are a way maker. You give us the opportunity to do things that otherwise we can't do. And Father, I know that there are hearts in this room that need to respond to you this morning. I pray for courage. I pray for strength. Move their feet for them. Make a way. Keep your promise. Be light in their darkness. Be their Savior. We ask all these things in your Son's precious name. Amen.